Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Hey, Assurance of Pardon listeners, Scott here. On May the 6th, Gage and I had the honor of uh, being at the 1517 conference with our Lutheran friends and being on stage with Chad Bird, a, a friend of the show, uh, and Daniel Merprice, and recording a joint episode on their podcast, 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. And so we enjoyed getting a chance to unpack Psalm 95 with with Daniel and Chad, and we're going to share that episode with you now. If you enjoy the show, I would encourage you to go to uh, 1517.org and check out some of the great podcasts they have over there. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a live recording of 40 Minutes of the Old Testament with special Presbyterian guests, Gage Jordan and Scott Davis. Today we will endeavor to decide, determine, debate whether or not Psalm 95 is about Luther or Calvin. I like, I like uh, it's, it's about that chances. They didn't know that this is what this was going to be. <laughs> no, so uh, Chad and I are, are, we've gone through a lot of the Old Testament, not all of it, obviously. We have a lot more to do, but we're in uh, Nehemiah right now. And uh, as we're trying to come up with stuff to do live, you're like, well, we don't want to do something we've done before, but we don't want to do something that we're going to eventually do. And so uh, we have a, an idea of doing psalm episodes in conjunction with the regular podcast. So there'll be like a, a psalm episode that'll come out every week. This will happen a, a little bit later. Uh, but now we decide, well, if we're doing live episodes, we'll do psalms and, uh, and just knock them out one by one. And uh, so this will be the, the recording that we will not ever redo for Psalm 95. Let's hope it doesn't become the lost episode. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Psalm 95. So what are we looking at, Chad? So, we're, yeah, we're looking at Psalm 95, and uh, it's, it's relatively short. I mean, it's 11 verses, so we should be done in five or six minutes. Uh, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be too bad today. No, uh, Psalm 95 is fascinating for, for a number of reasons. Um, a couple of those is the way in which it intersects, first of all, with the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and 4. And then also with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So there's some, there's some New Testament tie-ins because we all know the Old Testament really isn't that important. Uh, the New <laughs> Testament is. So we'll be able to, you know, establish some, mm-hmm. some good points by, by turning to the inspired commentary on the Old Testament. So uh, it took a minute. They got there. Yeah. yeah. So actually, uh, so Psalm 95 is, is fairly common. Those churches which... Uh, use the historic uh, liturgy, if you use morning prayer or maybe matins, uh, it's part of that morning service, the Benite. So when I went to seminary, I was singing Psalm 95 all the time. Uh, I had it memorized. But here's a, here's a <laughs> I don't want to read too much into this, but here's a fascinating thing about the Benite. At least in the tradition that I was singing it, it stops right before you get to the part that the Bible itself points to as the most significant part. 
it's kind of interesting. So it, it'll start by saying uh, at the end, sort of toward the end of verse, verse 7, where the people is pastor and the sheep of his hand, amen. Whereas the New Testament says, oh yeah, now we're at that point, we're actually about to get to the real meat of what Psalm 95 is about. So anyway, we'll get there, we'll get there in just a second. Um, but it starts, we'll just read maybe the first few verses here, and then we'll go back and talk about uh, a few things connected with uh, these verses and kind of the themes that are woven into, into that. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So I'll just say a couple of things to get us going, and then you guys can, can jump in. Uh, as you look at the flow of the entire psalm, it's kind of like you're making a pilgrimage. In fact, twice it's going to say come. It's different verbs in Hebrew. One is bo, one is halak, but they both have this idea of an invitation. So come. And the first one is almost like people are working their way toward the presence of God at the tabernacle or, or the temple. And they're making a joyful noise. They're, they're singing these, these songs of praise. And what's going to happen a little bit later is they're actually going to prostrate themselves, get down on their knees as this, this act of worship. In fact, this, some scholars speculate this may have been used for the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. So it's the idea you're, you're coming to Jerusalem and you're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, to commemorate, to remember the time that your, your ancestors were in the wilderness, which is actually a perfect fit with the, the, the thrust, especially the second half of, of the psalm. So it's an invitation to come, to let us sing, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I'll stop talking so I can share the table with the rest of the guys, especially the Presbyterians. Yeah, what I, th- I find so... Uh What I find so fascinating about Psalm 95 is that all of redemptive history is wrapped up here, that it starts with creation and it it moves through. We've got fallenness, we've got, we've got, uh, uh, but it ends with a rest that, that, that we can enter into. Uh, and so you have creation and redemption and all that comes between it in, in these few verses, all in, in this beautiful way. And, what is the first, the first few verses, the first six verses are talking about how he is the maker of the world. And the truth is, it's actually terrifying to come into his presence. Right. But the reason, though, that we actually can and would want to is because verse seven is going to tell us not only is he the maker, but he's a shepherd. That's right. He's a shepherd, and so our relationship with him is one of we are his sheep who he is feeding and caring and loving, and so he it moves from it moves from addressing God as the creator of the heavens and earth, and all the way down to this intimate relationship that we have. Yeah, well, I mean, do you, if you if you read the whole psalm before we started, you'd be like, "That's a bummer. It's a real bummer of an ending for this psalm." <laughs> And uh, it's just about you not entering the rest. There's no rest for you. And the the way this starts, I, I, if you listen to 40 Minutes at all, or maybe if you read the Bible and you just have like a keen eye for it, you'll, you'll see that God is always after 
somebody to listen to him, mm-hmm. probably, you know, his creation, if they would just hear what he has to say. So it's not even so much about do this and don't do that, but if they just like pay attention to him, I mean, like just acknowledge that, that yeah. he is the, right. their God and that he has made everything mm-hmm. and that he is somebody who is worth listening to because not just that he created everything, but he actually cares for you and he has named himself your God. And, and you see some of this stuff happen where, yeah, I mean, the psalmist starts with, Oh, let us come sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That sounds nice. This is the Lord. He's the rock of our salvation. We can be joyful about this. We can come into his presence with thanksgiving. We can be thankful for what? For all of these things that he's done. He's a great God. He's the great king above all gods. Uh, There's no place you can go where he's not. I mean, his hands are in the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The seas, he made it. The dry lands, he formed it. It's a pretty great God. I mean, and he gets to, and he's the rock of your salvation. So, Obviously, this is someone, if he was going to talk to you, if he was going to want to be your God, you'd be like, sign me up. This is not the case, though, as we find in the rest of the psalm. And so it, it sets up this idea that of who God is and that this would be a great God to have as your God. Uh, the terrifying, yes, if he was against you, but if he's the rock of your salvation, then awesome. This is, this is wonderful. But we don't hear it as wonderful or the, at least the people he's going to address didn't, and he's sure. going to warn us not to follow in their footsteps, That's right. that we would determine that we want some other God, uh, that we would, we would not want to hear him. We'd want to hear ourselves or hear somebody else or some other God. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I, as I see this like forming up, is that this is, this was, uh, if I was like going to make up God up, that was just amazing. This would be, this would be it. Yeah, right. To use, uh, you know, go back to Gretchen's talk. Um, this is the rock that Peter's standing on, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is the source of salvation, and and even you know talking about the feast of booths, it's Jesus who bids them to come, right? If you're thirsty, come. Like here's where life is, and if you come to me, you believe in me, as the scriptures have said. Where in Psalm 95 and other places, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. And so you see even here this contrast of, of life and death. In this God of salvation, in this rock, is life. Because literally, Moses is going to touch the rock, as it's going to reference later. I won't steal your thunder, I promise. Um, and um, from there is going to come water, right? Uh, it, here as well, it's this contrast of, hey, if you don't listen to this God, it's going to lead to death. Don't harden your hearts. Because why? Because that's going to end up leading you lifeless. Well, and, and when we see a phrase in the Old Testament of rock of our salvation, we can get sort of metaphorical and just say, well, that just means, uh, why is he called a rock? Well, he's called a rock because a rock is just this heavy, immovable thing but what the psalmist is doing here in calling him the rock of salvation and then drawing our attention to what we're going to get to in a little bit, Mirabah, and what happened there is that the rock, the, the rock literally was our salvation, that, mm. that he's the reason that they didn't die of thirst in the wilderness, although they deserve to. He's, he's, he's the literal rock. And then Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that rock was Jesus. Not that rock is a lot like Jesus. Think about Jesus and think about this rock and let's make some connections. No, Paul says that rock that, that, that gave them water in the wilderness, that rock was Jesus. Not like him, not sort of like him, not kind of like him, not analogous to, 
that rock was Jesus. So, so the rock didn't just represent, it wasn't memorial? Dude, I was about to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's very much similar to when Jesus said, had bread and said, this is my body. There it is. Look, I, I alley-oop the dunk for you. It's fine. It's the same yeah. thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It's alley-oop okay, for you. All right. Now, what do you mean by is, though? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, we're really going down here. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm okay, getting okay. shade thrown on me even when I use your talking points. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm literally so, trying to sound my most Lutheran, and you're still throwing it back at me. You're sounding super Lutheran. I yeah. Yeah. It's because yeah. we've been here a bunch of years. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Now you just have to spread that butter all the way across the toast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to kind of pull some of this together, uh, one of the things that uh, we don't just see in these first five verses, but you see this all over the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms how there's no effort whatsoever to, to build a wall between God the Creator and God the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we, we, okay, we're, if you're a creedal type person, uh, first article of the creed, creation. Second article of the creed, redemption. And then <laughs> the Psalms come along and they just kind of mix all this up. Mm-hmm. So in one verse, I mean, God's creating, and the other half of that verse, God is redeeming, because it's, it's just two sides of the same coin. So God is creator, as God is the redeemer. God the redeemer is God as the creator. So, you know, in one voice, they're saying rock of our salvation, but they're also talking about his hands, the depths of the earth, and the sea is his. And so in these opening verses, there is no, uh, to pick on the systematicians, you know, there's no like all these nice clear lines. <laughs> it's all this kind of a soup. Yes. It's mixed all together here because that's who God is. It's not like sometimes he's creator and sometimes he's redeemer and then he's a creator again. No, he's all of this together. So when he redeems us, he's recreating us. Amen. So, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the opening five verses. And one more thing, it kind of provides a bridge actually to what's coming next because we're going to get to the wilderness wanderings. And already some of the language here is picking up on that. As Scott pointed out, you get the rock of our salvation, thinking of the, the rock from whence they drank. But also verse four, or verse five rather, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Mm-hmm. Well, those two words, the dry land and the sea, mm-hmm. sea, dry land, dry land, sea, what did it make you think of? Well, you go back to the crossing the Red Sea. That's right. Yeah. So this sea that, that God made to, to split, he made it. Of course he can split it. And then he makes dry land in the midst of it so his people can, can go through. So there's the psalmist of the words is kind of dropping these little, little clues of what is, to, what is to come next. So he's already bringing the, the future of the psalm as it, as it develops here into these opening verses. And this is something that always happens, not always, almost always happens in the psalms. Like when you hear like always oh, the rock of our salvation and, and the God of redemption and stuff in the psalms, obviously we think of the cross and rightfully so, uh, but... The Psalms are so much about the Exodus. I mean, they're, yeah. they're just always packed with that. When they're talking about the God of our salvation, our deliverer, our redeemer, they're always using Exodus imagery. Yeah, it's everywhere through there. I mean, that, that is kind of the, the prism through which you view most of the redemption Psalms. That's what it's in one way or another alluding to. And when you get to verse 6, as we get into the back half of the Psalm, verse 6 is the proper response meeting this God and Redeemer yeah. compa- compared to what's not going to happen or what they're describing in the back half. They, they hardened their hearts. They didn't listen. They were wicked, disobedient, didn't believe, to use Hebrews language, right? They had unbelief. 
And that's the opposite of the thing that the shepherd's bidding you to do. Yeah. Come, worship, bow down, and kneel. Because when you meet Jesus, that is the proper response of what should happen. That's what John does at the beginning of Revelation, right? He sees Jesus in all his glory. He hung out with him for three years, and they were friends. And the first thing he does when he sees the Almighty God is fall on his face. So, for sure. Well, let's, let's, read, these, uh, let's read these verses. So this is, uh, I'll just pick up with verse 6 and take it through the end. I'll read it in English for those of you who don't know Hebrew. Yeah, if you, don't, if, you, if you think that Chad doesn't have a Hebrew Bible pulled up right here, you are mistaken. It's right here. I mean, you can't even see it. He just like, just for us, just so, just so we know. <laughs> All right, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, there's like no break there. I love this. It jumps right into what's coming up. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. <laughs> That's a pretty rough language. Yeah. You could also translate, I was disgusted. Man, I'm glad I'm not part of that generation. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the gospel, this is of, the the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yeah. Y'all feel better? <laughs> awesome. All right. So, uh... Yeah, so we, we, as Gage was pointing out, we, we pick up here with the second O come. So O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. By the way, am I the only one who's, you think about this, there's this disconnect. So we'll be sitting down or standing and saying, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord our Maker as we continue standing. Yes. <laughs> Just cracks me up. <laughs> we're saying we're kneeling, but we're all sitting. Or standing. Uh, good Lutheran churches, there'll be like those psalms that tell you to like raise your hands and, and, uh, yeah, and the Lutheran in the pockets. Yeah, the Lutheran, 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 yeah, who wrote this? <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. So you're saying that they, they, they don't just take the plain reading of the text? <laughs> That's, it. That's right. Not when it comes to that. Uh, I didn't, I'm not to sit me. between these guys here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> make, some, make some peace. Spread here. the butter all the way across the <laughs> Yeah. It's good. It's good. You had me at butter. Yeah. 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 So all three of those, uh, those verbs, by the way, worship and bow down and kneel, they all are, are all referring to the, the image that you have. You get on your knees and you actually prostrate yourself to. Right. So I always, you've probably heard me say this before, but I, in, in, in biblical worship, it's not like you're just worshiping in your head or your heart or your soul or however you want to put it. Your body is fully involved. Amen. Because you know, we're not Gnostics. <laughs> Our bodies are important. They're, uh, they're a central part of who we are, our identity. So we worship with our bodies as well. And that involved at least four for the Hebrews. They're bowing down. They're kneeling before the Lord. Before the Lord I make. And this is, to kind of pick up on what I said earlier, it's like they've moved in and now they're right in God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, then you bow down. You kneel, you kneel before him. Nice. Verse 7, uh, and then I'll pass it on to one of you guys. I, don't ever miss pronouns. For he is not the God, 
our God. That's right. And that our is a, is a word of faith. Uh, anytime you say that that God is my God or our God, that is a way in which faith is saying, yes, he's not just the God who exists. He's not just the God who made all things. He's not just the God who did this or that, but my God, our God. And therefore, we are, as it goes on to say, also his people. Yeah. Our God, his people. And that joins us by faith uh, to this God who makes all things and makes us then to be the sheep of his hand. Yeah, there's a language of possession there, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of we belong to him the way that sheep belong to a shepherd. Yeah. That's absolutely good. It's John 10 language, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jesus says he's the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do for his sheep? He lays, lays down his life. That's, that actually is how we're able to come before God and come before his presence is because the great shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And, and then what does John 10 tell us? What does Jesus tell them in, the, in this analogy of, of sheep and, and shepherd com, compared to what the warning is about to happen and the call today if you hear his voice? That's exactly what Jesus means and says in John 10 when he says, I speak and my sheep hear my voice. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And this is, a, this is Exodus, by the, Exodus language, by the way, because Moses and Aaron were the under shepherds of Yahweh. God was the shepherd of his people throughout the wilderness. So he, make, he calls them out of Egypt. He brings them through the Red Sea. They're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. So where it stops there, and that's not even like a verse division. It's kind of strange. It's a, we're right in the middle of verse 7 when we're about to make this, this shift. So the, the psalm, as it were, leads us. So we're, we're coming to the presence of God and we're remembering, as it, as it were, all those things that, that God did for his people in that generation. He was their shepherd. He rescued them. He brought them out into the wilderness. And then, like a fist <laughs> from heaven, we get our nose bloodied with what comes next. Do you, do you feel like God like jumps down and like grabs a fist? Like, so what happens here is that the psalmist is like, here's God and he's the creator and he's talking about, he is our God and stuff. And it's like all of a sudden God like drops down into the psalm and starts saying, I. Yes, there's a yep. shift. Like yep. all of a sudden in this thing, God's like, hold on, let me take the pen here and tell you exactly how I feel yeah, about that's it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there's that shift to I and me and the rest of the psalm yeah. where God shows up and says, all right, I'm going to take over. I got a few things to say to you people. <laughs> I, got some, I got some real problems. But that's, yeah. a, but that's, a, that's also a, a hermeneutic you see that you need to get your head around when you read the Psalms is that there's multiple voices. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it reads Psalm, you know, Psalm two, uh, has a, has a narrator. It has the son speaking. I explained it to my congregation. It's like the, the musical Greece. There's all the purses, to, you know, okay. I met a girl crazy for me, met a boy cute as can be. Is this a bad analogy? <laughs> it's, but it is a, it's, it's a it's musical da- it's number. Dated. It's dated. Yeah. <laughs> It is dated, as am I, as am I. Uh, multiple voices singing in this, in this hymn book that is the Psalms. Yeah, it'll go back and forth. I mean, sometimes you'll go from uh, addressing God in third person to addressing him in first person. So there's really, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. It just kind of bounces back and forth. And so here, though, God is about to speak. And the first word that he says is in Hebrew is hayom. So today, be day. So today, and we're going to unpack that in just a minute. Today if you hear his voice, then don't harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. I, this is not original with me, but uh, I can't remember who said this, but to, how Israel puts sin on the map. 
Gosh. <laughs> that phrase was great because Meribah and Massah, those are the names that are connected with the, the testing and the trying of God by the Israelites. And so they put sin on the map by, by these names. These names are a, a way in which they are reminded of these rebellions in, in the wilderness. The first Meribah is, uh, so the, the middle of that R-I-B in Hebrew, Reeve is like a, if you, uh, if you have a, a complaint or uh, trouble with someone or a lawsuit, that's where that comes from. So they had a complaint against God at Meribah. And then Masa is formed from the verb Nasa, which means to test. And that, in fact, that's the same word that's used in verse 9, when your fathers put me to the test. So this is a place of, of testing, of, of tempting God, of rebelling, rebelling against him. And it all centers around the way this begins. They didn't listen, the same thing that you said earlier. Mm-hmm. So. Which, you know, Paul, when, when do not harden your hearts as they did at, at Mirabah and Massa, uh, is precisely what Paul is going to say again in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so Paul's just picking up Psalm 95 and he's just requoting it again for the Corinthians as well. And it, it blows me away at what the complaint against God was. This God who had rained down manna for them, which I think is Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits. But Oh, yeah, sure. In um, the Hebrew it says that, actually. Yes, yes. There's that butter biscuit again. Yeah. But, um, uh-huh. So rain, gave, gave them food from they were, the sky. They were, they were probably just upset because they didn't eat on Sunday then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, well, they were supposed to gather double <laughs> on Saturday, but yeah. And then they get water from a rock, and the first thing they say was, yeah, I think we had it better in Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. As Gretchen was talking about earlier. Like, I think we had it better when we were getting beat. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And we're complaining that we're not still in slavery, which is exactly what we do every time we go back to the law. Yeah. Well, we, we've all experienced this. You know, we have, we have such short memories. You know, God can do a, just a, a fantastic thing for us. Maybe he doesn't bring us out of slavery in Egypt and through the Red Sea, but he just sees fantastic things for us. And, you know, and then we get the common cold and we're just convinced that God doesn't love us. You know, no joke. If you would only have mercy on me. And, you know, and because faith founded upon these miracles always has a short shelf life. You, you see that in the case of the, the Israelites. I mean, talk about a generation that saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And uh, yet they turn around and, oh, this water is just lukewarm. You know, can't you give us some cold water? How about, how about some meat? We're sick of this manna all the time. So there is a, uh, there's kind of built into us this very short-term memory when it comes to God's grace. And we turn right around and then we begin to <laughs> establish your own masas and meribahs. The, the original lie of the garden, God doesn't really care for you. Yeah. God, God doesn't really have what's best for you. Real happiness can be found. Let's grumble against God and doubt in his kind providence. Um, that's what, that's what happened. That's, that's what the, the lie that Eve believed. And that's the lie that the Israelites are, are going for now is that God doesn't really care for us. Yeah. Yeah. He isn't who he says he is and he's not going to do what he says he's going to do. So that, that's the, the pushback there for sure. All right. So, uh, your father's put me to the test. They put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And so, verse 10, for 40 years, I loathed that generation. <laughs> I, I was disgusted with that generation and said, 
They are a people who go astray or who wonder, it can be translated that way too, who wonder in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Of course, this for, that began, the 40 years part, I mean, that, that began, began not with the, uh, the Masai Meribah. That was back when they refused to go into the promised land. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, we, just so we're all on the same page. It wasn't like God brought them out of Egypt and said, okay, I'm going to have you wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Right. <laughs> and then I'm going to bring you to the promised land. That wasn't part, that was, that was plan B. Plan A was to bring them right, uh, right into the promised land. But when they saw that, you know, there were giants there, they decided that uh, they we're not going to be able to do this. And so you have the rebellion and thus the 40 years begin. And then as a result, verse 11, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into, into my rest. So we're, we can take that and kind of run with it, if y'all want to, to yeah. the book of, book of Hebrews, uh, unless you want to say something else specifically about these verses before we go there. No, I'm already in Hebrews, Chad, so you go ahead. All right, very good. <laughs> Okay, well, let's turn to the book of Hebrews then. And we're doing so because if you, if you look in Hebrews uh, 3 and 4, Hebrews, by the way, is the cheapest and the best commentary on the Old Testament ever written. So free of charge, you got it right. You got it, y'all, y'all just finished Hebrews, didn't you? For 30 yeah. minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm expecting a lot of very, very keen insights from oh, Daniel Emery yeah, Price. Awesome. Yeah, since you were just here. Uh, I'll, I'll do it. So book, the book of Hebrews, beginning with chapter 3, verse 7 starts to quote the psalm. And I mentioned earlier that when I would sing the Venite, we would stop right before we got the today, and yet the author of Hebrews begins with today. <laughs> so, verse 7. Now, this is important too. Verse 7 begins this way, Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't that cool? Now, in chapter 4, still quoting from Psalm 95, the author of Hebrews, who was somebody, I thought maybe somebody had a divine revelation, a prophecy you wanted to share with us today who the author of Hebrews was. So, the author of Hebrews, which we knew. I really get tired of saying the author of Hebrews. But anyway. Apollos. <laughs> okay, all right. So Apollos, we'll run with that. That's fine. Uh, in chapter 4, we'll identify the author as David. Now, isn't that great? So in one chapter, he says, the Holy Spirit wrote this. The next chapter, David wrote this. So who wrote this? Well, there's your answer. Yes. 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 David and the Holy Spirit. But that's the way that he begins. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then we have quoted today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And then it goes to the next several verses, takes us all the way through the end of into the psalm. And verse 12 then begins to kind of unpack this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, and this is the part which is just so creatively beautiful. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That's just so perfect. That's, that's taking a psalm that's rooted in the Exodus, written by David and the Holy Spirit, and then in inserting that into the sermon that's called Hebrews, it's not an epistle, it's a sermon, Insert into the sermon and saying, hey, this word that reflect on the Exodus, it's a poem written about the Exodus by David and the Holy Spirit, this applies to you. This is called today, right? This is today. So as long as it's called today, then this word continues to speak to us. So don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of, of sin. Yeah, it's not, it's not just that day. It's like 
This is just another way of saying, do not harden your heart in days that end with Y. <laughs> that's, the, that's right. That's right. That's, yeah. the, that's the idea here. So every day is called today when you're in it. And yeah. That's a day to not harden your heart. Yeah. And it, it, it speaks to the, uh, the contemporaneousness of the Psalms. So we're, we're not like, when, when, when we pray the Psalms, we're not praying something which is just somebody else's prayer from a long time ago, some kind of ancient prayer. These words are ours. Number one, the Old Testament is our book. It's a Christian book. So this, these are our, these are awesome. These aren't somebody else's literature, somebody else's psalms. These are ours. And so as we pray these, then we, we, we speak them in such a way that they are, are our words. It's the today of this psalm that we continue to pray. Anyway, and then it goes on. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover all, all two of these chapters in Hebrews that talk about it. But he's, he's, he's unpacking the rest of this. And he says that... Uh, who heard and rebelled? This is verse 16 of Hebrews 3. Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? With whom was he provoked or disgusted for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Hmm. So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Yep. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is pretty yeah. cool because yeah. what is disobedience? It's unbelief. Unbelief. What is rebellion? It's unbelief. What's yeah. sin? Un- unbelief. It goes back to the, to the garden, right? At, at the moment that Satan is questioning God's character and his word, it's an exercise in unbelief. Yeah. It all, it all goes back to the first commandment, as we, we frequently say in the podcast. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're getting the first commandment right, all the rest of the commandments, psh, easy. If you fear, love, and trust in God above all things, then you're not going to break any of the other commandments. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, it's the unbelief that's the core of all of the other things that, uh, that, that fall from that. Well, if, you, if you're trying to figure out where does, where does faith come from, we, we know that faith comes through hearing. And so th- this people's problem is not that they didn't see. They saw plenty, they but, but they didn't hear. So you can see the Red Sea get parted. You can see... Pharaoh's army drowned. You can see manna come from heaven, and that will keep you from making a golden calf for all of like four days uh, if you don't hear. Because if you don't hear, you don't believe. Because faith doesn't come through seeing. Uh, Faith comes through hearing. And these people refuse to hear. This is why he said the disobedience is unbelief, the refusal to hear. Uh, Seeing won't actually help you. Uh, I think that so often like we like God would just do a thing then then I would right. know. This is not true. The Bible is full of examples of people seeing all kinds of things, and it doesn't cause them to believe. Yeah, rich man and Lazarus, right? Even if, even if someone were to come back from the dead and try to warn you what's happening, if you saw that, you still wouldn't get it. Or, actually, or the actual Lazarus that was raised from the dead, and the Pharisees immediately <laughs> like, we, we have it. two people to kill now. This is terrible. Yes, 100%. We only had one, and now we got to kill yeah. two. Yeah, yeah. And make them believe anything. Like, that's, it that's just not how it works. Grave. Yeah. Well, and this is, you know, to piggyback off of what Kevin was saying, this is exactly Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees. Guys, you, you read the text all the time. You know all the things. You search all the scriptures. You're supposed to be the teachers. And yet you can't, how do you not know? How do you not understand? How, what have you been teaching them? What are you reading? How are you not getting? You're searching the scriptures and you're miss, missing me. That's, that's the warning. Right? That's the warning here. Like ver- chapter four, the beginning of verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That it, it's possible to come to church every week and, and go through the motions and do all the things and, and hear the gospel and learn all the lingo and learn all the Christianese and then miss Jesus. And, that, and that's, that's a sobering warning, for sure. Which is a direct result of not listening to 40 minutes in the Old Testament. Right? <laughs> Or assurance that, of pardon. Yeah. The reason the reason forty minutes is a is a podcast, not like a video cast, is because faith doesn't come through seeing. <laughs> oh, I love the. Way, I like what you did there. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Here I thought it was that's so why, that we that's could. Why, that's why fifteen seventy has a podcast network, not a video network. I thought it was so we could record in our pajamas. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that too. So, uh, to kind of just highlight a few of the things that are that are coming up here in, in Hebrews four, because we're uh, we got about five minutes left here. So what's going to happen in Hebrews 4 is that Apollos, it's going to go with that, mm-hmm. is, going to, is going to do some, uh, some, some great exegesis and uh, in interpretation, interpretive moves, actually that are reflected in later, later Jewish, Jewish hermeneutics as well, where you take a word that occurs in several different contexts, like rest, and you, 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 pick, you pick that from there and from there, and you kind of put these together and you weave these into the homily. In this case, he's going to focus upon on rest. So verse, uh, where are we at? Verse three, I swore in my wrath, they shall, not enter in, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. That's, that's a little, that's an abrupt shift there. But the reason he shifts, he's like, okay, I want you to think about the rest that God had on the seventh day. So that was a rest. And now we have another rest that's talked about in, in Psalm 95, which is reflective then of still another rest, and that's the one that Joshua would have given to the Israelites when they entered the promised land. So we got, we got multiple rests going on here. You got rest on the seventh day. You've got the rest that's referenced here in Psalm 95, and then the rest that Joshua would have given them in the land, okay? So all these are together. And then he's kind of leading us then to verse 6. He's talking about, since therefore it remains for some to enter this rest, so there's a rest that's still there. Well, when is this? What is this? And he goes on, he points a certain day, today, saying through David, and then he quotes him again. Now this is all going to verse eight. If Joshua, by the way, Joshua here in the Greek is the same spelling as Jesus. So if, you were, if you're hearing this in Greek, you're like, wait, does he mean Joshua or does he mean Jesus? Yes. 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 So if... If Joshua slash Jesus had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. There's still a rest coming. And then we finally have this crowning moment, verse 9. So then, and you can just kind of feel the preacher. He's like leading him right to this point. He's like, so then, dear friends, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. How? He's he's taking this psalm. And its connection to the Exodus and even more ancient connection to creation. And he's like, all of these rests were leading to what I'm talking about now. There's a Sabbath rest for the people of God that you can enter if you hear his voice mm-hmm. and you believe. And this Sabbath rest is nothing more than entering into the one who said, come to me. Oh, here we all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Amen. I'll be your rest. That's what all of this Old Testament history that's been reflected in the psalm is beginning us toward. I think it's, it's fascinating that, that the, the, the turn of phrase in verse, Hebrews chapter 4, 11 is 
Let us therefore strive not to work really, really hard. <laughs> strive <laughs> to keep all the rules. Yeah. Strive to rest. Yeah. Yes. Like work really, really hard to rest. To do nothing. Because the truth is the, the, the hard work of the gospel is believing that Christ has done it all. The hard work of the gospel, the thing that causes me to have to die to myself is to, that is the, the striving is to daily recognize, as long as it is called today, rest in Christ, rest in Christ, rest in Christ. Every day I'm going to find myself not believing the gospel. Every day I'm going to find myself not believing that Jesus is enough. And so the striving that I'm called to is not this mountain climbing to try to earn God's favor. It's to, I'm striving to believe that this rest is for me now. And it's enough. And that it's enough. Yeah. It's yeah. a great time in Galatians, right? I mean, this is, that's what this has all been about. So Absolutely. the Israelites uh, struggled with the same thing that the Galatians struggled with, that uh, it, it's this idea that the completeness of the love of God in Jesus Christ it is enough. There's nothing that needs to be added to that. No circumcision, no dietary laws, no working your best to be a good moral Christian. None of that is adding anything to the gospel. It is complete. The rest has been won. Rest in the rest. It's God's gift to you. Amen. Amen. And that's it. That's 40 minutes, guys. Thanks for uh, letting us do this live and hanging out. It's a good time. Thanks. Thanks.